1 Peter chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, 1 Peter 3. If you don't, there's one in the pew right in front of you, so you can always feel free to grab that if you don't have yours. But 1 Peter chapter 3, we are looking, we're continuing in this book of 1 Peter, and Peter has been talking about submission. He's talked about submission in the context of government and in the context of employment. But there is a major uh, relationship to life that he has yet to talk about, and we're going to examine that this morning. We're going to look at submission within the marriage. So stand with me as we read from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And even if you're not married, I promise you, this word still has a word for you. God, God does not write his book in such a way that it excludes a whole bunch of people. Uh, uh, just to speak to a limited group. So, so even if you are divorced or widowed or uh, just unmarried, never been married in the first place, uh, this book has something to say to you this morning. First Peter chapter three, verses one through seven. This is, of course, God's word. And if we let it, it will change our lives. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Pray with me. Father, I pray that those of us who are married will apply this scripture in our homes that wives and husbands will do these words as we live together and as we seek to grow together in the bond of marriage, but also uh, in bond with you. Lord, for those of us who aren't married, I pray that you will use this word to speak to them, to help shape them into the people that you want them to be. Whatever the case may be this morning, I pray that we would all find in submission the joy that comes from honoring you. Help us, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Marriage is unique. There's just nothing quite like it. Uh, for better and for worse sometimes, there's just nothing quite like marriage. And in fact, there's no substitute for good marriage. Um, there's no relationship that quite hits the same way. Some of you, um, some of you are, are currently married. Some are married in the past. Um, and, and hopefully you've had that experience of a good marriage. Um, for those of you too young to have been married yet, um, uh, your day's coming. So just file this in the back of your mind. Um, but there's just the security, the love, the commitment the the unity within marriage when it's done right when it's done God's way there's just nothing like it 
In fact, I, I got to be honest with you, I, I don't know what I'd do without my wife. I told her one time, if you ever leave, I'm coming with you. Because um, I don't know what I'd do. Well, I, I have no idea what I'd do without her. God designed marriage not because you weren't enough of a person on your own, but because he recognized that it works better when two people love and care for one another. It just works better that way. In fact, God himself isn't really alone. We talk about the triune God. What we, what we say is that God is three distinct persons with one essence. It's almost as if God is married within himself. And our marriage of these two people becoming one and, and growing closer together over time, that is, that is in a way a picture of the way that God relates within himself. And so it might seem interesting to you that Peter pulls this idea of submission and applies it into marriage. Well, the, the, the feminist would, would freak out with me suggesting the idea that, that women are to be subjected to their husbands. But I think it's because they missed the point. The point isn't that the woman is the man's property, that the man can do whatever he wants to the woman, like he's some caveman with a giant club that just knocks his wife over the head and takes her into the cave whenever he wants to. That's not biblical marriage. But biblical marriage also isn't the woman controlling the man either. Biblical marriage is a mutual submission. So how do we live that? What, how do we actually submit to one another? That's what Peter goes on to talk about in this passage. And so, so the first, there's two questions. We're going to look at, first of all, how do wives submit? Later, we'll get to how do husbands submit. But how do wives submit? What is it that wives do to submit to their husbands? Now, remember, the idea of submission isn't just you are the one in control, and so I have to obey everything you say, whether I like it or not, whether it's good or not, doesn't matter. I just have to do whatever you want me to do. That's not biblical submission. How does a wife care for her husband and put his needs above hers? That's more of the biblical idea of submission. And it's the same true, true with the husband submitting to the wife. We'll see that in just a little bit. But I find a couple ways that Peter points us to how wives submit to husbands. Verses 1 and 2 show us that she submits by her conduct. It's the things that she does in which she submits. Look, verse 1, likewise, likewise. Remember, he's been talking about this. How do we submit to government? How do we submit to the emperor as supreme or the governors that he has placed over different things? Well, we follow them. We honor them. We follow the laws and the dictates that they do. Now, when they're out of line and when they're doing things that are wrong, our submission looks different. In those cases, our submission tries to put them back in their rightful place. When you're dealing with a master, whether he's good or bad, how does a slave submit to a master? Yes, there's levels of obedience, but there's also the slave caring for the master and putting the master's needs first. And sometimes, when that master is bad, it's gentle reminders that, hey, you're mistreating me. Like that turning the other cheek we talked about. 
So how do we do it in marriage? Well, we do it by the way we act. Wives, especially. By her conduct, she submits. Likewise, wives, be, sub be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. We're going to talk about that more later. But look at verse 2. They may be won when? When they see your respectful and pure conduct. Two key words there. Respectful and pure. That word respectful, the idea isn't just courteous. It's not yes, sir, no, sir. Yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Please, thank you. Though that has a little bit to do with it. It's not just, oh, no, you, you go ahead. I'll wait for you. It's not just that kind of courteous sort of respect. And it's not even the respect that says, you know, I'm just not going to say anything bad about them. It's not that either. It goes beyond that. In fact, the word used is the word used for fear. It's that reverential sort of way that we are called to treat God. If you look back in 1 Peter 2, verse 17, he says, honor the emperor, love the brotherhood, fear God, same word. The way that we treat God is with respect, with awe, with reverence. Because of who he is, we know that we don't come before him flippantly. In the same kind of way, wives are called to be reverential. Now, does she revere her husband? In some ways. But really, she's revering God, isn't she? Remember, God did say, as you do to the least of these, you do also to me. When God, when we treat other people right or wrong, God says, it's just like you're treating me that way. That's why the second commandment is like the first. The first is to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second one, Jesus says, is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Because that, loving your neighbor, is the way that you demonstrate love back to God. It's the way that you outwardly express the love that God has shown you. In other words, you can't love God and not love your neighbor. John tells us that. If you don't love your neighbor, you don't love God. You can't hate your neighbor and say you love God. You've deceived yourself, he says. And so there's an idea in which she is showing her husband reverence and respect, not because he deserves it, but because she is revering and respecting God. She's not flippant with her relationships, especially with marriage, because she recognizes that she's serving God. This isn't just about that, that dope that she married. This is about how she treats God. And she's going to demonstrate that within her marriage. It's also, though, her conduct isn't disrespectful. It's also pure. Now, there's two different aspects to purity. There's getting rid of the bad stuff. And then there's taking on the good stuff, right? So we say that something is pure, not just because the bad has been taken away, but the right stuff is now in it. Okay? Make sense? Um, if you, Jesus said this, he said, if you, if a demon gets thrown out of a person, cast out of a person, and roams around, can't find anywhere, comes back to that person, 
finds that that person is still empty, what does he do? He moves back in and he brings seven even worse demons with him. Jesus' point isn't that, that, you know, this is it. It's not that if you get demons cast out, that you have to get keep getting them recast out because they keep coming back. You know, his point is if you don't fill with the right things, that hole is going to be filled with the wrong things. And even if you take out the wrong things, it's still going to get filled with the wrong things and even more so later. Can you Have you ever known someone who's gone through multiple rehabs? You can watch this happen. They, 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 they try and try and try to stop doing whatever they're doing, whether it's drugs or alcohol, whatever it happens to be. They try to stop. They get rid of it for a little while, and then they're right back into it. And the reason is, is because they don't fill up with the right things. They don't replace that addiction with things that are good. And so because they don't, they go right back to the addiction. It's, it's the, it's, we see it play in all kinds of different ways of life. So it's not just enough that, that you take out the bad, you've got to put in the good, right? Because it's what comes out of the heart that reflects who the person really is. So you have not only the idea of being unblemished, of being unspotted, of being um, not bad, if you will. You also have the idea of being holy, devoted to a specific good use. You are not only to be not used for that, you're to be a vessel for this too. The wife, by her conduct, isn't just someone who checks off the do's and don'ts. She's someone who demonstrates the heart behind the proper conduct. It's not just that I do this because I'm obligated. It's that I do this because I love him. I do this because I love God. That same sort of reverence makes its way into everything she does. This is why uh, Proverbs 31, that woman in Proverbs 31 is such a great woman because in everything she does, she does with excellence. And not just excellence in the, the, the physical sense, not just excellence in she makes really good wares and really good business dealings and her meals are awesome and every, the, the scarlet that they're clothed in is wonderful and everything like that. It's not just that. It's the way she's doing it. Carrie and I both know a woman who was a Proverbs 31 kind of woman. Her arms never tired. The way that she loved people and cared for people just amazing. Even today, even today, she is still impacting us by the way that she lives. She's been gone for years. It's that kind of conduct. That's how, that's how wives submit. Now, by the way, that's also a good way for husbands too. She submits by her conduct. She submits also by her beauty. You see, it's, not just, well, verse 3 and 4. I'll let, let's read it. Do not let your adorning be external. Now, is he saying don't braid your hair, don't put on jewelry, don't wear nice clothes? No, that's not what he's saying, okay? What he's saying here is that's not your adorning. 
Those things are nice. Those things are good. You know, have, have a nice perfume. That look nice. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with doing that, but keep it in its proper place. The adorning, by the way, is the word cosmos. It's the word for the universe. In fact, Russians use that word to talk about space. Cosmonauts or astronauts to us, they're cosmonauts in Russia. That word cosmos, it's the universe. Don't let that be your universe, ladies. That's what he's saying. He's saying, he's saying it's not so important how you look on the outside. It's not about just the outward appearance. Don't let it be everything. Don't let your adorning be external about the braiding of your hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. And the list can keep going on. The fashion accessories you have. Don't let it be the perfume. Don't let it be the way that you you put on certain types of makeup. Don't, don't let it be all the external stuff because your beauty is not just outward. The adorning is not just outward. The, beautiful, the woman of God is beautiful inward. Verse four, but let your adorning, again, let your cosmos be the hidden person of the heart. That's a whole different kind of adorning, isn't it? In fact, instead of being showy, instead of trying to garner attention, instead of trying to make people notice you, this kind of adorning is perfectly happy going unnoticed, being quiet. In fact, hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. This is someone that if you're not trying to, you'll probably miss. If you're not trying to find them, you'll miss them. And that's an imperishable beauty too. It's not a, it's not here today, gone tomorrow. You ever, you ever see those pictures of celebrities? What are they, where are they now? And you look at some of them and you say, man, they look totally different than they did. The beauty fades, doesn't it? Not this kind of beauty. See, that inward beauty, that doesn't fade. In fact, that only gets more beautiful with time. That sweet, dear woman that I was talking about, she was in her 70s. I wish I had known her when she was much younger. She was so sweet. She was so compassionate. To be honest with you, she was beautiful. It had nothing to do with her looks. That, that's the way. That's, that's the way. It's not about just... It's not about having everyone gawk over you. Be this kind of woman, and you won't just be precious in God's sight, I promise you. She submits by her courage. You might find that one interesting. I, I, didn't, I didn't see anything about courage. I didn't say be strong and courageous. You know, Peter doesn't say anything in here about, about being courageous. What, what are you talking about? Look at verses 5 and 6. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Watch this. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Did you catch the courage? Boy, it takes a lot of courage not to fear what's easy to fear, doesn't it? We got people that haven't been back to church since the pandemic started. 
And I think part of the reason is fear. We got some churches, they estimate 20% of the churches, of people, haven't gone back because they're afraid. You want to be the right kind of woman, the right kind of wife, you got to be courageous. It's not just the man who needs to be courageous, the woman needs to be courageous too. Because sometimes she's got to deal with the man. But other times she needs to help him deal with other things. Sometimes, I'm going to be honest with you, I need my wife to be more courageous than I am at that moment. And I think every man in here would agree. There's times when we need our wives to help us stand. She submits by having courage. Not fearing what is frightening. I put it this way. Trusting God and following her man. She trusts God so she doesn't have to be afraid of what's frightening. She, she trusts God so she doesn't have to worry about the potentials and the hypotheticals, the what ifs. And, and that, those things don't bother her because she's trusting God. But she's also courageous enough to follow that guy that she married that her dad said, I don't know about him. Sometimes she needs courage because he is not the kind of leader he needs to be. Sometimes she needs courage because he's not the husband that she needs him to be. And she needs to courageously fight for him to become the man that God wants him to be. So how do husbands submit? I looked at the wife. He spent six verses talking about wives and only one talking about men. Now, isn't that just the man doing that? Do you know why I think he takes six verses to talk about wives? I think he takes six verses to talk about wives because I think he wants to set the pattern. See, the pattern is the way that she holds herself is the way that she submits to her husband. Now he's going to flip-flop it. For the first time in this passage, in, in not only this passage, but going back to when he first said, uh, be subject to, in verse 13 of chapter 2. He's talked about these different sorts of relationships, these different sorts of things that we're involved in, and, and he never addresses the government he says, be subject to those in authority, to the Caesar and to those he's appointed. He doesn't talk to Caesar and he doesn't talk to those whom he's appointed, the governors. He doesn't show them what submission looks like from their perspective. In masters and servants, he talks directly to the servants. He doesn't talk to the masters. You know what? You know what I think he's doing here? I think he's turning to the husbands and saying, and you don't get off the hook, guys, because you need to submit to her just like she submits to you. But our submission looks a little different, doesn't it, guys? Because let's just be honest. If we're all honest, we need to be respected as men. Wives need to be cherished. Am I, am I right about that? Or am I just making that up? Please. Yeah, we need to be respected. The way you, the way you treat a husband is with respect because that's what he needs. He doesn't become the man that God wants him to be without respect. He needs someone to hold him to a standard and to expect him to achieve it because I believe in you. 
That's why boys that are, that are uh, middle school or high school age, that are all causing all kinds of problems, that's why they respond to a strong male presence. Because that strong male presence showed them, you can do better than this. I believe in you. It's something they're desperate for. And so he turns to the husbands and he says, husbands, you can do better than what you're doing. Your job isn't just to head the home and, and make sure she does everything that needs to be done. You're not a boss making sure your employees fulfill their tasks. He starts, verse 7, likewise. Just as they had to submit, just as, as you're submitting to masters, just as you're submitting to government authorities as they're being rightfully uh, exercised, just as you are submitting to all these other forms, I want you to submit to your wives too. Because biblical submission is not just a one-way street. And how true, how, how, how brutally honest it is to admit that in marriage. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. How do you submit as a husband? Guys, how do we submit to our wives? We submit by understanding her. In fact, I, I, you may even change this to knowing her. The first part of that verse says, live with your wives in an understanding way. I think, I don't, I'm not as good of a translator as what does those who do Bibles, okay? I'm convinced though, he's not just saying, kind of know how your wife's mind is working and, and just deal with her as though you understand her. I, I don't think that's what he's saying. I think what he's saying is know her, study her. Become the expert of her. Get your PhD in your wife. And then continue studying her all the rest of your days. Don't just know how she's thinking. Don't just know what she's going to do if you say something a certain way. Know her. I'm convinced Part of the reason that there is so much strife in marriages and outside of marriages is because we don't take the time to genuinely know other people. We assume that just because of who they vote for or just because of the position they hold on a certain issue or just because of a certain thing that they say that automatically we put them in a box and we know them and we don't even bother to investigate past that surface level. Or we're too busy with what we want and trying to get what we want out of a marriage that we don't even care less about the other person. They just fulfill a need that is all transactional. Can I tell you something? Take the time to know them and you'll see that it's dramatically different. Husbands, it is imperative for us to know our wives. And yes, it is an ongoing pursuit. Y'all are complicated, ladies. I'm just going to tell you. Y'all are very complicated, okay? Be patient with us. But guys, that's not a reason not to know her and to keep knowing her. 
In fact, that's one of the ways I submit to my wife. We submit to our wives is to know them. We submit by honoring her as well. I think of Proverbs 31, and I think of the, the, the husband and the children rising to call her blessed. I'm sure Carrie would love if all, if all five of us would get up and talk about how great she is in the morning. She'd probably love it if one of us did it, not to mention all five. I mean, that doesn't happen often enough, does it? But one way we submit to her is by honoring her. Next part of that verse says, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. I can't remember the exact words that Peter Davids used, but he wrote a commentary on this passage and he says that uh, it's not the man holding over control over the woman and it's not the woman uh, seizing control from the man. It's the man having the authority but lending it to the woman and saying, here, I trust you. I've heard some people work it out this way. We talk about major decisions, and if either one of us doesn't agree, we don't do it. It's showing honor. Some, some things we just got to decide. Where are we going to go for lunch? I don't know. What do you want? I don't know. Somebody's got to make a decision, right? I've often thought we should just get one of those giant wheels like they have on Wheel of Fortune and just put a bunch of places on there and just spin the wheel. Say, all right, today we're going to go to, yeah. I'm not decisive. She's less. So trying to figure out lunch. What do you kids want? McDonald's? No, no. Chick-fil-A? No, it's Sunday. They're closed. What do you want? But there are some decisions that you need to make together. There are some things that you just have to do together. You can't, you can't just say, uh, well, this is the way it's going to be because this is what I want. I don't care whether you like it or not. When we were getting married, Carrie was asking me all kinds of questions. What do you think of this or what do you think of that? Whatever you want, I'm fine with it. I don't care if you want mustard green on my tux. I, I don't care. Whatever you want. But you can't do that all the time. There's sometimes when you just got to make decisions together. But it's not just the decisions. Notice the end, of this, the, the end of this part of the verse says, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. I've seen commentators say things like, well, it just means more precious, so it's like fine china, and so you just got to take care of it a little bit better. No, the, the words actually mean physically weaker. There's a vulnerability that women have. Men have vulnerabilities too. But they're in different areas. And there's times when he needs support on something that's easy for him. This first calls us to support her. This verse calls us to stand for her. When I read Weaker Vessel, one of the things I thought of was the, the, the image, I think it's in Jeremiah 18, of the potter making the vessel. And he makes it, and it messes up. And so he has to like reshape it into a ball and start all over. Or there's the clay's a little too hard, so he throws it in to the water to soften. And I thought of God shaping us and molding us as vessels. And sometimes he has to like do some major things to us. And other times he, he only has to make some slight alterations. Sometimes it's just a little here, a little there, very fine touches to just make it just right. But other times it's major repairs. Sometimes 
Sometimes he has to, he can't even work with us yet. He has to soften us up first. And I thought of the woman as a vessel that's holding the spirit, but that vessel needs a hand underneath because the bottom's kind of weak. The handle's liable to break off if you're not careful. And so to make sure that it's not damaged, to make sure that that vessel holds the Spirit of God the way that it needs to, the husband needs to hold her, to support her, to care for her. That's how he submits. By honoring her. Third thing for husbands, by recognizing her. Since, why, why do you do this? Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. I don't do this because I just have to. I don't do this because I really like her and, and there's, no. I do this because she's a co-heir with me. I do this because my wife is not just someone I like. It's someone who God loves and God has shown that, that has this cooperation with me in this grace that he's given us. And not just a grace for today, but grace for every day. And not just the grace for here, the grace for eternity future. God has put both of us as joint heirs of this grace. And if I am going to love the brothers, well, Martin Luther put it this way. Love your neighbor. And your wife is your closest neighbor. So you ought to love her most. That's my paraphrase. And you recognize that she is not just some random person. She's a joint heir. So we have wives submitting to their husbands in the way they conduct themselves. Husbands submitting to the wives in the way that he treats her. And as they submit to one another, husbands and wives grow in holiness. You see, the whole point of this isn't just for a really cool marriage. It's not just to have a partner, not just to have some peace and joy in the house where you live. The whole point of this is to become more like Christ. As, as the minister who married Carrie and I told us, the purpose of your marriage is to bring others to Christ. It's not, to, it's not just for you guys to be married and enjoy it. It's, it's for God's kingdom to grow. Growing in us and through us toward others. We grow in holiness. Verse one, likewise wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, even if that knucklehead won't do what God wants him to do, watch this, they may be one without a word. Why? Because they see the word in her. Now, does that mean she never says anything? No. But it does mean you don't have to worry about nagging him into heaven. You don't have to worry about, about just constantly getting on to him to make him do the right thing. Live right. Encourage him. He'll see you. And he'll become the man that God wants him to be. It's not a guarantee of success. There are plenty of women who have married men that are hard-hearted against the gospel and all their lives they never come to God. There's too many cases of that. But if you find yourself in that position, women, if you find yourself in that position, you demonstrating the word of God will have a profound impact 
on him. And they may be one without a word because they have the word. By the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. It happens too the other way when husbands are, are uh, faithful to God. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. And interesting. You really want to live the kind of life that God wants you to live? Submit. It's easier said than done sometimes, isn't it? Me too. Father, I pray. I pray that you will weaken our knees, that we may kneel in submission before you. I tell you what, God, just show us who you are. Just open our eyes to who you are, and, and that'll be enough. If we see you truly, we'll have no choice but to bow. But God, as we submit to you, help us realize that that submission doesn't just come toward you. It's not just reading our Bible and praying and, and going to church and doing all the right things that we're supposed to do toward you. God, six of the Ten Commandments are between people. The first four deal with you, but the last six all deal with how we relate with other people. I don't think that's by accident because the way that we submit to others who are in authority, the way that we submit to each other in marriage, that, that lives out our submission to you. So Father, would you, would you not only help us to bow before you, to submit to you, but also, so do our husbands and wives. Peter doesn't mention children and parents, but there's submission there too. To our bosses, to our employees, to our governors and officials, to those whom we serve. Father, would you, would you humble us that we may submit to your authority rightfully exercised both to those who are above us and toward those who are below us too. And in all these things, would you help us to see that it's in that submission that you shape us to be like you. Father, we are clay. Some of us are a little wetter than others. Some of us could probably use a little drying out. Others need to get thrown into the water for a little while longer. But God, would you continue shaping us, continue molding us, continue fashioning us into your will. In this time of invitation, I pray that we would answer your call to submit whatever that may need to take for us. Lord, would you do your work in this time? Christ's name, amen.